Amen. Amen. Would you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13 and stand with me and honor God's word? First Corinthians 13, verse 4, says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Father God, I thank you that to your love there's no end. To your love there's no end. Your love is so powerful that it's life-changing. It's healing. It's merciful. It's restorative. Father God, as we jump in to looking at your love in depth this morning and we know we're just scratching the surface. No one could know the depths of your love. Father, meet us here. Reveal who you are to a greater degree and how you love to a greater degree and how you are not man that you should lie and how you were not our mother or our father or our siblings or our friends. You are God. And your love is not of this world. And we can only know it if we know you. So, Father, reveal your love to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Again, if you weren't with us last week, I just want to reiterate that this is, this is not a series on marriage and relationships, and I know that typically churches will, will, will do series like that this time of the year. That's not what this is. It's one thing to know that God loves us, loves the world. It's another to know God's love. And so what is God's love like? What is it all about? And why is a study on the love of God important? Well, we know 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love, that God is love. If anybody were to ask, what is love? A good, healthy response would be God. God is love. Therefore, if we know God's love, we, we know God. I don't believe you can know one or the other. I believe you know God's love, you, you know God. And last week we looked at what God's love is not, and this week we're gonna look at what God's love is. And so this series is really, and today is really all about what, what God's love is. And so let me offer a definition for the God kind of love. And I say that because it is a love that can only come from God. Just like there's a life that can only come from God, Zoe life, agape is a love that can only come from God. And so let me try to put a little bit of a face on the God kind of love. It's a strong, non-sexual affection and regard for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights 
or privileges in another person's behalf. In another person's behalf. In our text, we probably have the best breakdown and description of the love of God available to us in Scripture. In fact, this entire chapter is about the love of God. Any teaching on 1 Corinthians 13 that, that leaves or is void of the love of God is missing it. Verses have been pulled out of this as to reinforce a belief that maybe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are no longer in operation today. Well, this isn't a chapter on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's a chapter on the love of God. Start to finish, love of God. Notice it says love suffers long, love is patient, love never gives up. All of these describe the same word used for suffering and and patient. It speaks of remaining patient and calm despite difficulties. Despite difficulties. It speaks of having a long fuse and being long-tempered. There's an expression you don't hear much. You hear many people described as being short-tempered, but how many people have you ever heard described as being long-tempered? Second Peter, if you've got your Bibles with you, chapter 3 has a great example of this. Second Peter 3, verse 9. It says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. I love that verse. So please keep in mind as we study God's love, we we study God. Whatever can be said about God's love can be said about God, inseparable. You could say, God is patient, God is kind. God's not slow to anger. God doesn't parade himself. God keeps no record of of wrongs. Whatever can be said about the love of God can be said about God because God is love. Notice it says love is kind. We're gonna do a a few word studies this morning and I really believe they're gonna bless you. It says love is kind. The word kind here means to be or become warm-hearted, considerate, humane, gentle, sympathetic. Romans Chapter 2, verse 4, is a wonderful example of this. I'll read it to you. You can feel free to study it on your own. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? In fact, the verb translated is kind is not found anywhere else in the Greek Bible. It is related to the adjective good and to the noun kindness. As I thought about this, as I thought about this word kind, I, I thought about my, my life before I came to know Jesus as my, my Lord and Savior, I thought about how selfish and self-centered I was, and, and God's still working. I'm not claiming to have arrived anywhere, but I am a far cry from who I was. Everything revolved around me and what I wanted. Everything. I just told the worship team before the service we we meet um, as many as can meet elders, um, our prayer prayer ministry, our worship team, and I said 
the, the more it becomes about us, the weirder it gets. Don't get weird. Make it about Jesus. Healthy Christianity, healthy faith revolves around Jesus Christ and nothing else. As soon as it begins to deviate from Jesus Christ, no matter how slight, it gets weird. And the focus is off. The focus is off. The focus is off. Our faith, Hebrews 6, is towards God. It's towards Jesus Christ. And so healthy Christianity revolves around Jesus Christ, or it's not Christianity anymore. Call it whatever you want, but don't call it Christianity if it doesn't revolve around Christ. It's healthy if it revolves around Christ. But before I came to know Jesus, everything revolved around me and what I wanted. In fact, I've even seen that happen in people's lives after they become Christians. God does such an amazing job, such a wonderful job at restoring their lives. They revert back to some of that, and I think we've all been there in some way, shape, or form. And we began to demand our own way because we've maybe figured some things out as a, as a Christian with the Lord's help. And, and we've got some areas nailed down a little bit. And so we begin to parade ourselves or we begin to demand our own way and we begin to drift away from Jesus. We need to get back to Jesus. It's not about us, is it? And it never will be if it's gonna be healthy. And I get it. In the beginning of our walk, it feels so good to know that God notices us and loves us. Isn't that just amazing? You first came to Jesus, and he, he knows me. He knows my name. It felt so good to be, to be loved by God. But as we mature, God wants us to notice and to, to love others. And this is best seen in our being kind, in our being gracious. We would always tell our, you know, boys, be gracious, be nice, be, be kind, And I just want to suggest this. If God's kindness turned you from your sin, could your kindness be used by God to turn someone from their sin? Maybe it's not going to be your strong words and boldness that win somebody over. Maybe it's going to be your kindness. You know, so many times we think that we've got so much wisdom to share and to dispense but maybe all they really need to see is just kindness. Maybe they don't want to be told that you're a Christian. Maybe they want to see it. Man, it's so easy to tell somebody you're a Christian. It's so easy to tell them you love God. And it can be so difficult to be out there and to be rubbing elbows with people and allow them to see the love of God in your life, the kindness of God on your life. When we think of patience and kindness, we have to think of others because these qualities are best seen regarding others. Let me explain. People are viewed by others as patient and kind. It's something that someone sees upon a life. It's, it's not something that, you know, I'm telling my wife all the time, honey, I am so patient and kind. I am so patient and kind. Lise, shh, 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 shush. Um, I'm convinced that patience and kindness, I got the mic up here. I'm convinced that patience and kindness are responses. They're responses, which is why they would stand out so much. We respond in kind. We respond in patience. It's why they're so noticeable. 
See, love suffers long and is kind. It describes responses that are otherworldly because of the circumstances that they're in. And as much as we don't like it, as much as we may not like it, people see Jesus in us best when we're going through our worst. I know we don't like that. I know that when we're going through our worst, we would prefer not to be seen at all. I get it. I want to withdraw too when I'm going through my worst. But I am suggesting to you today, when people see you going through the real deal, when people go, see you going through the worst of times, that is when Jesus in your life is seen the best and the brightest, shines the best and the brightest. Isn't it amazing? In Scripture, it says, so let your light shine before men so that when they see your good works, speaks of behavior, speaks of responses. Christians should not respond like everybody else responds when they're going through the worst of times. There should be something otherworldly about them. There should be a, another gear, a, another level that would cause people to say, where are you drawing your strength from? How do you do it? You're amazing. No, God's amazing. And I'd be a fool to tell you different. I know we don't like it, but when we're hit with the worst, what an incredible opportunity for people to see Jesus. You know, we can fake a lot of things, but we can't fake going through tough times. Just can't fake it. So how are you when you go through tough times? I would personally, when I'm going through my worst, I don't want to be seen by everybody. I would, but what a great opportunity for people to see Jesus in our lives. Go to James chapter one and let's do a little little word study here. You guys love word studies, I'm telling you. Some good stuff. And you don't have to have a fancy Bible program to do word studies. I mean, you can look up the stuff right online, all the resources that are available to you. It's amazing, amazing stuff. Look at James 1. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. Again, I'm reading out of the New Living. It says, For you know... James speaking to the church, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. So as I'm understanding this, my endurance can't grow unless my faith is tested. And in order for me to let it grow, I've got to let testing come. You tracking with me? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So if your faith never gets tested, your endurance never has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The word tested there in verse 3 is a rare Greek word. You're only going to find it in 1 Peter 1.7. It's the only other place that you're going to find it. It's a rare Greek word. In the Septuagint, it's used twice in the the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. So the 
the New Testament's written in the Greek, and to complement that, they also wrote a Greek translation of the Old Testament as well. The Old Testament is originally written in the Hebrew, but when the New Testament was written, they wrote a Greek version of the, the Old Testament. In the Septuagint, it's used twice. In Psalms 11, verse 7, and Proverbs 27, verse 21. In the Greek New Testament, it means testing, but in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it speaks more of a refining by fire. I need you to get this today. It's going to help. Which suggests that the challenges that we face, they, they more than test us, they refine us and remove impurities as only fire can. Because let's be honest, there are just some things that they, they need to more than just go, they need to get burned up and never come back again. And there is a refining process that takes place in our life when we embrace the test and we go through the fire. But if we shun the fire because of its discomfort, if we shun the test because it doesn't feel good to us, then our endurance doesn't have a chance to grow and we are never refined. And where we aren't refined, we repeat. We repeat. We go around the same mountain again and again and again because there's been nothing refined in our lives. We become repeaters. Where you shun the refiner's fire, you are doomed to repeat again and again and again and you never progress and you never move forward and you never take new ground and the high ground is never taken because you're always wrestling in the valley. The aim here in James is to let patience have its perfect work in the New King James in the ESV. Let steadfastness have its full effect. And in the New Living, we read it already, when your endurance is fully developed. So why three different meanings here? Why? Why can't the, the translators seem to get it right in the English language? Why is such a varying? The Greek language is really quite beautiful because in one word, they completely understand what it means and it's such an all-encompassing word that it takes a bunch of words in the English to really capture it. And so that's why new scholarly versions that come out will do their best to, to capture it even more. It's the reason why I love looking at more than one version. Many times when I'm studying, I'll have four versions in front of me. It's the reason why versions like the Amplified will be so wordy because you almost have to be if you're going to capture the meaning of one Greek word at times. In fact, in one Greek word, you can have a, you know, a, a prefix, the, the main body, and a suffix, and they all mean something else, but when you put them together, it's one powerful word, which oftentimes takes more than one word in the English. So why three different renderings here? I mean, we're talking about endurance and steadfastness and patience, because it's very, very hard to capture in one word that which means to remain under a heavy, heavy load for a long time. Hard. 
On the other side of the process, though, all the translators agree. All the translators agree that you will be perfect and complete. Perfect and complete. Fully developed. So let me just say it this way if you're not putting two and two together. You refuse the fire and you're not going to develop as you ought. You refuse the fire and you will not be refined and you will not grow. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. He's always inviting us into the uncomfortable but never the impossible. Always wooing us into things that cause us to shed a little bit more of our flesh. Because he's a refiner's fire. And man, can we get spiritual and can we get wise when God is beginning to deal with our hearts? Man, can we put a face on that? You know, my, that might be for somebody else. I, 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 that's not for me. And, you know, oh, you know, Lord, surely, you know, you'd rather have somebody else up there. And you'd, it's, we're so good at stiff-arming the Holy Spirit, but I don't see anybody growing that isn't going through moments of discomfort. If we weren't going through moments of discomfort, then why would God be called the God of all comfort and the Holy Spirit called the Comforter? God calls you into places of discomfort. He woos you and beckons you into places of discomfort. Dietrich Bonhoeffer captured it best. When God calls a man, he bids him come and die. And if you're not willing to die to do what God's called you to do, then don't respond to the call. Many are called, few are chosen because many will not choose to die. Many will shun the refiner's fire and they'll remain the same and they'll be incomplete and they will not be fully developed. There'll always be an immaturity about their walk with God. But the mature, they're embracing the flames as uncomfortable as they are. See, the reason why we don't embrace the refiner's fire is because we don't want to lose any of the flesh that we love and pamper so much, that we cater to so much. Some of us have even been duped into thinking that the Holy Spirit will cater to us and will bring us all the things that we want so much. Nothing could be further from Scripture in the heart of God. Nothing. There is no such thing as the Holy Spirit catering service. And you are not gonna move God by boatloads of faith to get you everything that you want. He's trying to kill you so he can use you. And you know what you need faith for? You need faith to make it through the refiner's fire so that you can develop, so that you'll persevere, so that you'll endure, so that God can use you in your flesh and not, no part of you will get any of the glory. Man, you don't need faith if you won't embrace the flames. Please. Big old cushy couch, easy chair. No, no, no face necessary. I tell you, faith is for the flames. It's for the flames. Let me read it to you again. For you know, so John was speaking to the body 
something they were well aware of. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. No testing, no chance. No growth. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect, complete, needing nothing. Something's wrong when we're always feeling like we need. God supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory, Philippians 4. He supplies them. Isn't that what David said? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I think sometimes we don't even know what our needs are. And we feel like God has somehow let us down or failed us because he hasn't supplied a need when it really wasn't a need at all. God knows what you need. Your father knows that you need these things, Matthew 6. Don't worry about your life, clothing, food. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things shall be added. Man, you worry about the Savior. Let God worry about the stuff. You're not gonna lack. He's not gonna miss it where you're concerned because his love will not fail. And don't worry, God is patient and he is kind. He's patient and he's, con- he's kind concerning you. I think so many times we feel like we've exhausted God, we've tapped God out or God's so irritated with us. No, we just read it, love's not irritable. As we study the love of God, you are gonna find out how much God is unlike anyone you've ever known, no matter how loving how God's supply is so endless and how his love will never, ever fail. God's love never dies. God's love never dies. Let's pray this morning.